0: Mediated Conversation
1: on SAFM. Good morning. 27 minutes now to nine. The time, time for a Mediated Conversation this morning. Over the last few weeks, in so many of our conversations that you've heard about illegal mining, one of the key issues to emerge is how to close, how to seal the holes created by mining and how to seal them permanently. Just recently in Riverley and Jo'burg, Zamasamas, we were told, were removed from the area. Many people were arrested. There's some indications that perhaps some of those holes may be reopened again. In other places, despite a mining company leaving a mine, simply because it's too dangerous for anyone to go underground, illegal mining will still go on. Zamasamas will go there. And in the end, this maybe gets to the point that if there is something valuable underground... It is almost impossible to stop people from going underground to get it, if they know that it's there. So then, how difficult is it to seal these holes and to keep them closed? Is it possible to actually do? First this morning, Gunu Maswima a lecturer in the civil engineering department at the University of Cape Town, the actual process of doing it. Then, whose responsibility is all of this and are they doing it properly? Mariette van Levering is the CEO at the Federation for Sustainable Environment and an expert on the subject. And then what's happening to mine workers who are let go, how are they affected by all of this, and the situation generally? Someone who's been following this for a long time is Franz Belleni. He is, of course, former General Secretary of the National Union of Mine Workers. We start then with the Civil Engineering Department a lecturer at the University of Cape Town, Gundu Maswima. Gundu, good morning, and thanks once again for your time.
2: Good morning, Stephen, and uh, good morning to the listeners of SFM.
1: How do you seal a mine? It doesn't sound like an easy thing to do. People have spent a lot of money in building a hole. How do you seal the hole?
2: Um, The process of sealing a mine is not very difficult uh, at all. Uh, In fact, there are different ways of doing it. Initially, the old traditional way of doing it is to just... um, Uh, Put a foam somewhere along the, uh, some sort of foamwork at the uh, column and just fill it up with concrete and and then uh, leave it to dry. But later on, they realized that these guys seem to be able to still sometimes break through the concrete. So they made thicker and even put uh, reinforcement. Uh, But then, The more modern ways of doing it now, they use uh, just a basic geofabric, you look at it as a blanket, Uh, you pull a blanket down the column, and then you inject this foam uh, material, which uh, when it's exposed to oxygen will expand uh, to fill the hole properly, and then when it dries, it becomes uh, uh, strong, almost like rock. Uh, So there are various ways of, um, of, um, uh, those are just some of the ways of doing it. But the problem is not so much uh, that now, because the, they have found that most of these uh, illegal miners have got maps of the whole underground uh, network, and they are not even going in through the holes that have mm-hmm. been filled. They even have the survey equipment and the to be able to pinpoint exactly where the... Uh, mine is running underground even when it's not straight it can be you can have one shaft a kilometer away somewhere in between Uh, though it is not a straight line they are able to pinpoint exactly uh, where to dig to go and intercept the mine uh, somewhere so it tells you that these are not uh, just uh, it's not just the work of uh, an educated Mm. Uh, unsophisticated uh, uh, people, yeah. So they are able to... It's, it's almost like they are mining uh, by themselves. In fact, there's an example with a um, chrome mining in Beckersford where it's a full mining operation with mining engineers, uh, security and everything, but it's, a, it's, a illegal, uh, it's an illegal mine. Sure.
1: And when a mine is sealed, so then it can still be breached? You don't even have to use the normal entrance? You can make your own?
2: You can make your own. In fact... Um, the only reason they follow existing mine is because they have the guarantee that they will still get the minerals otherwise they could have just been mining anyway uh, even where there's not been a mine before <clears throat> so i think that is the extent uh, uh, to which uh, uh, the the problem is difficult and i think with the what they call the uh, the the vets the rent uh, basin uh, minerals they are very much close to the surface so some, uh, they can even, uh, there's outcrops here and there. But the average depth is between uh, 20 and 50 meters. So that is not very deep um, in terms of um, uh, deep mining uh, standards. So they are able to access uh, these mines quite uh, easily. Sure. Uh, that's why it's rife in, in in the Haudenry region, which is where the Haudenry mm-hmm. is uh, is.
1: I mean the famous stories of people sort of tripping over gold almost. Not quite like that, but that's what sort of started off mining in that area. So then, um, if it's not that deep that you have to go and if you know the stuff is there, you could use whatever you wanted to seal the holes. Um and I know someone's going to suggest can't you just rig all of the shafts for explosives and collapse them?
2: Yeah, that is that's not that right. well, of course that would be an extreme uh, one or just pump water. Of course, maybe mm-hmm. they will be afraid of acid mine <laughs> uh, draining. But mm-hmm. the 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 mine shafts go into built-up areas as well, uh, and uh, some areas is also also uh, dolomite. So once you start uh, doing those type of ground disturbances, the damage might just be worse uh, than you would you would imagine. So the the only way now is. Uh, through policing if you if they can identify where these guys have gone in uh, they wait because the maximum they can spend underground is about uh, 3 uh, 3 weeks mm. uh, yeah the only challenge now is that they seem to be coming with much more sophisticated um, uh, weapons uh, than than our uh, our uh, our police and if you look at when the phenomenon started it actually came an issue 2014 2015 And there is a whole lot of uh, investigative work being done to understand what actually happened during that time. But one of the explanations, which is now in the public domain, is that it was linked to the political instability in Lesotho. So the mines. Uh, the mining activities were meant to fund, mm. um, yeah, some of the uh, the warring factions uh, that were vying for uh, to take over the government.
1: So that's where some of the capital came from to start. That's that's one of the reasons it got so big.
2: Yes, indeed, because it's, it's a it's a it's a high capi- it's a capital intensive operation uh, to to dig a mine. It's not um, it's not that easy. But what we are finding out is that. It's people who have been mining before who are leading uh, the operations and even professionals. In fact, some of these drawings have been kept in the universities like Reds uh, and so on. And they the been the mapped. So it's not understood if they are being uh, found from there or from the, the uh, department or because this this. So there, there is positive information and maps and so on, these these, these, these these people seem to have them. Sure. Uh, so they're not doing digging randomly. They dig precisely. They mm-hmm. also use survey equipment to dig precise They know where they are going when they're digging.
1: It would seem, Gundo, and I mean, I agree that a formal mining company, when it shuts up a mine, must shut it up according to the law. But even if they do that, you can't stop people still digging there unless you have 24-hour security, which is very difficult to do.
2: Yes, especially because the access is not through where the sealing is happening. But uh, the department has commissioned a study to pre-evaluate the way they are sealing the mines. if there could be a more um, creative way that would stop this from happening. Yeah, it's just that uh, yeah, looking at it uh, from my point of view, uh, if people are able to dig through um, any place, then... Um, the way you've seen is not an issue unless you can you can use so much of uh, this uh, polyurethane foams that they are using and just uh, pump it uh, all the way underground but uh, financially it will not make sense
1: Thank you. Really appreciate the time. Lecturer in, in the Civil Engineering Department at the University of Cape Town. Eighteen minutes to nine. Your mediated conversation continues this morning. Sealing off mines to try and stop illegal mining. Mariette van Leferink is the CEO of the Federation for, Sustainable, for a Sustainable Environment. Also works uh, very closely with artisanal miners as well. Mariette, good morning and thank you for your time this morning. Uh,
3: good morning. Thank you for the opportunity.
1: So we have various legal procedures that companies are supposed to follow when a mine is closed. Are they following those procedures? Even if they do follow their pre- those procedures, as Kunta Maswima was explaining, does it stop illegal mining? Is the illegal mining going to happen no matter what these companies do? Yes.
3: Uh, in fact, I, in preparation for our interview this morning, I visited um, some of the reports that I had in my possession, uh, I have a report from 2011 from the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy where they listed 461 shafts within the Bitwaters around goldfield. And as uh, the previous uh, speaker mentioned, these shafts have been uh, backfilled either by um, waste rock or with cement caps. But uh, obviously, that this does not stop illegal mining. I may perhaps just mention that uh, my organisation was part of the advisory committee of the South African Human Rights Commission on artisanal and small scale mining And it was found that there is a direct link between the retrenchment of mine workers and informal mining And cessation of mining without proper closure and remediation As well as liquidation and uh, mining companies being put in care and maintenance And failure to monitor monitor compliance with environmental management program reports contribute to unlawful mining. I also here just want to refer to a loophole within our legislation. The Mineral and Petroleum Resources Development Act places no special obligation on the court to determine whether a company applying for liquidation has applied for a closure certificate, ensured the transfer of environmental liability, or so actually topped up any shortfall of funds. This of course then would result in a proliferation of illegal mining. We have seen this with the Blau Blaise- mm-hmm. Gold Mine, a fly Mine. We have seen it also in the case of uh, Mintels. And <clears throat> if I may uh, perhaps just remind the mm-hmm. listeners to the Regulations that require um, a mining company to close responsibly and also to remediate a holder must apply for a closure certificate upon the lapsing or abandonment of his right. Or cessation of mining operations or relinquishing of any portion of land to which that right relates. Within 180 days from these situations occurring the holder must complete and submit a prescribed closing plan including an environmental risk report to the DMRE's regional manager and it's only after the chief inspector and Department of Water and Sanitation confirmed in the writing that provisions have been complied with may there be a closure certificate in However, the DMRE and DWS are reticent to issue closure certificates because if they issue a closure certificate, then the liabilities and the responsibilities for rehabilitation, including um, latent and residual impacts, the address of that and the pumping and treatment of extraneous or polluted water then reverts back to the state. The the situation then results in mining companies just simply abandoning their mining right areas, their mine dumps, their shafts, as well as uh, applying for liquidation. And that has resulted in a, a proliferation of illegal mining. But if I may also perhaps, if time allows, mention that the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy we were part of the consultation process has proposed an artisanal and small scale mining policy and uh, i may perhaps just mention some of the proposals in this policy
1: so so the thing is, um, I suppose what it boils down to, maybe two things, is that one is we can have as much formal policy as we like. Mining companies um, are probably going to try and you know do it for as cheaply as they can. Secondly, even if they do it properly, from what Gundomaswima was telling us, it's not going to stop illegal mining, which means that we need to change the policy. You talk about the artisanal mining policy. Would that change things, do you think? Don't we still then have the problem that mining these mines is incredibly dangerous?
3: Yes. <clears throat> First, with regards to artisanal and small-scale mining policy, uh, it proposed that it must be reserved uh, for South Africa, and each of their is to issue permits to cooperatives and not individuals and it must only be limited to surface and open country. And here I just want to interpose. During the more than 120 uh, years of gold <coughs> mining within the uh, it created the largest gold and uranium mining basin in the world, in The especially in the central and western basin where the underground mining had ceased. The uh, historic mine has left pillars in order to ground subsidence or ground movement <clears throat> and seismicity. Um, many of these pillars are now being mined by illegal miners. There is an, also another uh, issue that I wish to mention because we've seen that many informal settlements and settlements like are now being targeted by illegal miners. The reason for that is that uh, historically these tailing storage facilities uh, or mine dumps or open shops were in remote areas. <clears throat> but as a result of urban sprawl and the encroachment of residents,
1: oh, Marietta, are you still there? Mariette and Liferink, we seem to be losing you on the line. Can you hear us?
3: I can hear you. All right, can sorry. You?
1: Yes, you can. You were talking about how, I, I think what you were saying was that mining used to be an out-of-the-way places. Now, towns and cities have grown so much that there are people living right next to these mines.
3: Correct. And that, of course, exposes them to the risks and hazards of illegal mining. May I just come back again to the ASM policy, Artisanal and Small Scale Mining Policy? Uh, it is envisioned by this policy that these small scale miners must coexist with large operations through contributing agreements, equipment leasing, technical support and participation in the supply chain. But big miners are hesitant or hesitant <laughs> to, to engage with illegal miners because who, how will the liabilities be apportioned if there is environmental degradation or pollution? And then the government, uh, according to this policy, should train, empower, and educate artisanal and small-scale mining. And they should clearly distinguish illegal mining from artisanal and small-scale mining. And the government must strengthen laws regarding criminalisation of illegal mining to deter illegal mining activities and the trained detective unit is proposed. However, at this time, I'm not aware that this has happened. So it is... Um, Um, It's still a policy. A policy must, of course, translate into regulations and in a plan. So uh, this, I think, to some extent, may address uh, the issue. But um, as we all know, that government is underskilled and under-resourced.
1: Mariette van Liefering, thank you very much indeed. CEO of the Federation for a Sustainable Environment also works with artisanal miners. In a moment on this issue, Franz Bellini. Mediated conversation on SAFM. Continue your mediated conversation this morning around how difficult it is to seal mining holes and keep them sealed. France Belleni is the former General Secretary of the National Union of Mine Workers. France, good morning. Thanks for your time. Good morning, LG, your team, and uh, to uh, the listeners. There's something that's already been picked up on, but I would like to expand on it further, which is former mine workers being involved now in illegal mining. So the question really becomes: People have been working underground in a mine for a long time. The mining company, for whatever reason, stops mining. It leaves them. What happens to the workers? And presumably, they're left with no other choice but to keep mining.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, As you, um, the current workforce is just over four hundred thousand, and at one point it was over eight hundred thousand. So it tells you that you've got close to 400,000 people who have got mining experience. And if you look at the activities of illegal miners, you've got the underground old mines, you've got open cast, and then you've got the operating mines, where also these illegal miners are
1: operating. So you've got all of these people together, you can't stop them, and then all that is required is a little bit of capital to find where the resources are.
0: And as the NF speaker, Paralys Gondo, indicated, you are dealing with a syndicate with all the uh, skills you require from geologists, uh, suppliers, be it explosive equipment, food, you name it. um, As as indicated to maps, they know exactly because when you go mining, uh, SG, you must look at the whole body. So you need the grades. Are you going to make money? Now, they are targeting areas with quite a higher grade. They are talking about, about five grams in some instances. So, I think what is lacking here, um, which is unfortunate, there is a national integrated illegal mining and illicit precious metal trafficking strategy. If that can be impl- uh, implemented, it would actually uh, do harm to the illegal uh, activities, or it will really arrest um this this challenge
1: which is getting out of hand so um when when this happens and we talk about changing the policy but doesn't it come back to the same problem there is something valuable underground people know where it is and therefore they're going to get it and i don't know how unless you have literally 24-hour armed guards above the ground where the stuff is you're not going to be able to stop it are there other policies we can use you talk about this policy how would it make a difference
0: uh, Maria made the reference to a small-scale uh, mining policy. If you take, for example, SG diamonds, it's easier to pick up diamonds than to dig gold. So you, you you manage that, you provide licenses so that people can operate in a safe and environmentally uh, friendly. Uh, instead of just shutting them out and you don't have a mechanism to provide small-scale mining. Then you deal with illegal operations, Illegal operations which is based on the needs of the syndicate. And, and, and in most instances, we would target the diggers. There's a need from an intelligence point of view to target the key players of the syndicate because some of these uh, products, be it gold and others, end up being sold abroad. So clearly talking about a massive syndicate, not just a small player who's digging the, the ground.
1: Um, it's intriguing how the money flows because it is flowing in so many different directions and we still don't know, well, I don't know exactly how people are getting hold of this, how people are actually funding this. Is it really possible to break up that money flow or not?
0: It is possible. Um, we have made an observation. We know exactly uh, the diggers are paid in cash and the diggers take the, the bit gold, whatever product, and um, to the middle person. And the middle person goes to the upper level and then it goes and then it goes abroad most of the diggers they are paid in cash uh, you can't trace banking and so on and as it goes along as you have seen with the good good does uh, a cop web of money they can really manage how to um, from one account to another account and so on but with thorough work as i've indicated in terms of that strategy we can track them and trace some of these uh, players
1: You've been watching this problem for many years, France. I remember talking to you when you were still actively involved in the union movement and very worried there um, because of the impact it has on formal mining too. Do you believe that we will actually be able to stop this because the scale of this thing from 2015 has become huge?
0: I'm afraid that it's growing uh, at a faster pace. And my fear is that the brazenness of these illegal uh, operators displaying their weapons and so on and i think that testing the authority they're testing the state and i think it's not, now is the time where the state must really put its foot down to protect the citizens to protect our environment and also to prevent scaring investors because nobody will end up investing because of fear that anybody can just go in your operating mind and money legally.
1: Franz Belleni, thank you very much indeed. I really do appreciate the time. Former, na- leader, uh, former General Secretary of the National Union of Mine Working is bringing an end today to your mediated conversation this morning. So much in it around illegal mining and particularly trying to seal off these holes. Franz Belleni, thank you. Mariette van Liefenck is the CEO of the, seder- of the Federation for a Sustainable Environment. Also, as I said, works with artisanal miners. And starting us off today, Agundo Maswina, a lecturer in the Department of Civil Engineering at the University of Cape well an understanding i think of how the money works how the funding works how the capital works and how the syndicates work when it comes to illegal mining. All right, it's going to be a very busy day today. I think we're likely to hear all sorts of things coming from the BRICS summit this morning, uh, which of course starts tomorrow. But the big day today will be the state visit of the Chinese president to South Africa, President Xi Jinping. So that's a big moment, I think, in many, many different ways. From Impo, from Stanza, Amandla, and myself look after yourself. We'll be.